I am just eat, sleep, breathing food 24-7. I am just soaking it in. You know, nobody comes into my radar unscathed as far as, oh, you're Greek. Oh, your mama good cook, granny good cook. Oh, what's what's her signature dish? Next minute, the plumber's writing down the Spanakopita recipe or giving me, you know, granny's mobile telephone number. Like, I am just getting it everywhere that I can. From a childhood, fosking for mushrooms and baking with her grandmothers in the Hunter Valley, to an early career as a cake queen, and now to a many-faceted food business based in Sydney, Simone Logue's story speaks to the huge variety of pathways in hospitality, cooking, and catering. It's a pleasure to welcome you to Dirty Linen today, Simone. Oh, Danny, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You do so many different things, um, and it's all around the joy of cooking, creating, gathering people around the table, which I couldn't relate to more. Um, I just love all that stuff. But yeah, tell us, tell us a bit about what you're up to at the moment, and then back into your tasty history. Oh, of course. So. I suppose I could say that all of my dreams are coming true professionally right now. So I've, I've always been known for my cakes and then later on my savoury pastry range, but my dream has always been to stretch outside of those genres and really uh, encapsulate what home dinners mean for many people about bringing I suppose, home-style country food to the table along with convenience because I know that people are so busy, you know, with families, with work, with going to the gym, with all the commitments that we have to be fabulous. Um, it's just so lovely to uh, to be the person to be able to bring uh, that uh, the quality of uh, you know food that they might be able to cook at home if they had the time and so I've just had this amazing opportunity now to step outside of my sort of usual genres and create home dinners dinners for one slow cooked for two a beautiful soup range and roll along the eastern seaboard uh with with woolies um and others uh along with my patisserie uh as well my lovely um pies and quiches so yeah i just feel hi you know my goodness, this is what I've been working towards for the past thirty years, and it's it's very exciting that I've come to this to this point. Mm. So good. And tell us about Essington Park because, um, yeah, I know that's a big part of what you're about at the moment. Yeah, well, Essington Park um, is where I call home. Uh, mostly at the moment I come here on the weekends uh, because work doesn't allow for more time. I'm very busy uh, in town. Um, but uh, I discovered this beautiful home uh, in a little town called Oberon about 25 years ago with my twin sister, Joanna Logue. She's a very famous um, landscape 
painter uh, we stumbled across uh, Essington Park and because we actually we're country girls we come from a little town called Musselbrook in the Hunter Valley uh, we you know once you once you've grown up in the country you know you never lose that and we we fell in love with Essington Park we were driving along the road Joanna was out here um painting doing you know painting some plain air and there was a for sale sign on the gate and uh, in we came and we just fell we fell in love Danny and uh, then we we scraped the bottom of the barrel big borrowed stole uh, to raise the money to to buy Essington and it's been the most beautiful adventure and uh, you know we restored it and um I suppose Essington has been like the custard that sort of held myself and my siblings uh, together. This is where a lot of our culinary ideas come from, you know, because, you know, we come here and basically the kitchen is the heart of the house. I'm sitting here right now by the fire and it's just so conducive to creative energy and uh, because we're all crazy mad foodies, um, this is the place where, where we come to to fill up the well creatively. Mm. Oh, I just love this. I've just got this vision of you and your sister as kids, you know, in the country and, you know, muddy knees and, and dirty hands and, you know, picking fruit and all the different all the different things and then taking your creativity in different directions uh, but then coming together to build this, I guess it sounds just like a yeah, creative paradise so rich. Can you talk about, you know, the the ways that your sister as a as a landscape artist and, and yourself as as a cook relate to landscape and and you know the different things that you're able to draw upon for your various arts well i suppose when we were little like you know we were always out fossicking gathering fishing at, our granny taught us how to we called it going crouching, taught us how to catch crayfish on the, with a bit, like a dirty old bit of meat in the end of her, an old pair of pantyhose on the end of a stick. And so we, we, you know, we just, we have the land and all that it brings and offers up pumping through our veins. Um, Joanna uh, went down the, the, painting the landscape route and I went down the, you know, finding inspiration from uh, from the garden, from the orchard to use, you know, seasonally in my cooking. But uh, Joanna is sometimes my brother and I laugh that and both Andy Logan and myself are in the in the food business, but we laugh and we say that we think that Joanna Logue is a better cook than all of us put together. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, it's because as kids, even though we didn't realise it, we were just sort of soaking it in by osmosis and we, we really knew where our food was coming from and it was a real adventure and, you know, we'd jump on our bikes early in the morning and back in those days, you know, your mum, you know, you didn't see your mum again till she was calling you for tea. Do you know um, how times have changed? You know, we'd just be off, you know, on, on these wild adventures and, and I'm sure that that is uh, definitely why why we've all arrived at where we are 
today and how we all, the three of us, really inspire each other. We're we're incredibly close, and uh, we really uh, we really inspire each other on a daily basis. It's really beautiful. I love that. Um, well, how did you go from this, you know, dirty meat on the end of a stick wrapped in a stocking to to your first forays in the food world? Like, how did that come about? Well, I suppose I am extremely entrepreneurial um, as well. I have that gene. Um, my dad um, is very entrepreneurial and as kids growing up I suppose we saw his fearlessness we saw his entrepreneurialism we saw that you know he never felt that he couldn't take on something any crazy idea and and make it happen and I really believe that that sort of thing is um is quite hereditary so and it was quite late uh in my in my time that I came to this idea, um, even though food had always been a passion, just at home cooking and sharing and you know getting ideas and and great Caligula style feasts, um, I um, I just had this sort of burning desire to. Uh, to create something in business and um, so I had to dig really deep and work out what what is my passion because I think that's that is a real key to success I know it might sound cliche but I really do believe that if you're incredibly passionate about something and then you throw the entrepreneurial spirit in and the drive and the will to work really really hard uh, you know, you're you're pretty well ninety nine point nine percent there. You just needed a little little sprinkle of luck in there as well. And so I decided that I would give um, give it a go. I I went to both of my grannies and um, and um, pinched some of their cake recipes, and um, I started with one cake at home in my tiny little flat in Neutral Bay here in Sydney. I baked, actually, I baked a hummingbird cake. It was out of like an early, like a 1979 Vogue Entertaining magazine, the hummingbird cake, which we still bake today and sell many of. I baked a hummingbird cake in my daggy little oven um, in my little flat and I walked it up the hill to the nearest cafe uh, the cafe was Sophie's American style deli there in Neutral Bay, and I sold the cake for twenty dollars. And wow, love that! <laughs> and then I just, it just bloody took off. Like I just, I just, I found a niche. I found the niche where business owners, cafes, delis, restaurants. I suppose it's a bit like what's happening today in the industry where, where Talent is really hard to find uh, uh, because we have a shortage of uh, of people. Um, everybody's trying to uh, to to battle for the same pool of talent, um, and uh, it was more economical for them to buy a beautiful homemade 
beautiful cake or dessert and make cut it into 12 pieces, make great margin without the, the heartache of staff and, and trying to find the expertise. And I just I hit the nail on the head, Danny, and I was, I was like, oh, my goodness, what have I created? It was just like a total mess in the kitchen. I was like, oh, my God, I, ha- I have to get out of here. I, I need to find a little kitchen. And And so then one day... I was delivering a cake to uh, East Balmain to a little cafe in my bomby little Honda Civic, smoking at the back, smoking at the front. I had to climb over to the passenger door to get out because the driver's door wouldn't open. It was just like, and I saw as I was driving up the road an old butcher shop, TJ's Quality Meat for Lease, LJ Hooker. And so I called them up and I rented the old butcher shop. And that's really that's really how, you know, it started. I, I bought an oven, an industrial mixer. My family came to help. Everyone, all, all the people, you know, all my darling ones that are close to me came and helped. And it just went from strength to strength. And I started to build my brand and that's that's... How that's what happened. Yeah, it was, and I was fearless, just like my dad, and I was positive, just like my mum. My mum is the most positive person, um, so I think I got the the good genes out of both of them. You know, so a great idea, a passion for cooking, the entrepreneurial spirit from my dad, and the positive vibes from my mum, and there's a winning formula. Mm. What kind of um businesses did your dad craft oh everything (laughs) he was one of those you know he was the kind of is the kind of guy that like on a rainy Sunday afternoon he's kind of looking at the at the couch thinking well I think I'll reupholster that so we'll get out my mum's sewing machine and and reupholster that couch never never having used a sewing machine before like that's my dad yeah, so just totally, you know, fearless and believe believing in himself, no doubts. And I think that that really is key. He was in publishing. He we lived in a little town called Musselbrook in um, Hunter, as I said, and um, he founded the Hunter Valley News, which was the free rag. Um, and I just remember um, how hard he worked and how he rallied, how everyone rallied around him, friends and family, to deliver that paper every week. He'd be driving along in his Leyland P76, throwing the papers out the, out the window into people's yards. And he ended up selling that to the Chronicle, which was the... Um, the, the paper that you had to buy in town. Um, but, you know, just witnessing that sort of determination and drive when you're little, I think um, just really uh, really sets you in good stead, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And as a, as a former paper, well, I was 
I was a girl, but I thought of myself as a paper boy. As a former paper boy, I do respect anyone who can uh, neatly throw a newspaper into a front yard. I certainly took a lot of pride in being able to aim right to the doormat. Good on you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There must have been, you know, lots of ups and downs in your business. And, yeah, I really love that origin story with the hummingbird cake. It, um, yeah, really love it. Uh, Tell us about some of the ups and downs of your business as it took its twists and turns. Yeah, well, um, look, when when I was like, I I sort of look at my culinary career and my business career as, you know, toddler, teenager, grown-up person. So I'm grown up now. And when I was a toddler, when I, I'm talking about those butcher shop days and then I moved uptown into Balmain proper and rented a, a, a shop where I started to wholesale out the back and retail in the front. And it was just incredibly successful um, because it was before the days that you could go into a supermarket and buy a, um, a home dinner like what I'm now selling into the grocery sector. And so uh, I had a line of people coming into that store for, you know, 10, 15 years uh, coming to get that that dinner that I had put the love in and nurtured so that they, they could take it home to their family. And it was incredibly successful. The money was rolling in and... And then I think this is a very good lesson for um, for everyone that's starting a new business. Many, many do not succeed, as you would know. There's only a small percentage of people that start off in a small business that are that continue on or don't fold within the first year or two. And so I think uh, for me, uh, you can get a little bit too big for your boots and spread yourself a little bit too thin. And uh, what I did was I then opened a restaurant and another store in Paddington. And and I think with the food industry, it's very important to, um, well, I have a saying, it's the best fertiliser for the land is the footprint of the owner. And I think when you spread yourself thin, the business uh, misses the footprint of the owner. And uh, so that was a very good lesson because what happens, then I got to my teenage business person and I feel that I was in this sort of, in this spinning my wheels, like making money but not the discipline or the omnipresence that I needed in each store wasn't there. So you can get into this danger zone. I call it like the middle zone where, you know, it's, um, it's you know, you, you, you're making the money but you're not making the profit, you know. Um, so then I had a big decision to make. Do I truncate down back to the toddler where I have my one shop and I, I can nurture, you know, nurture the business as I used to, or do I go really big? Because there's a there's a thing, and it's called economy of scale. Um, and because of my my nature, I decided I'm going to go really big. 
and it was a really fantastic decision. But I needed money to do that. I needed a, to build a, a new factory. I needed some more trucks on the road. Um, I needed to get my HACCP certification. And I didn't have, I couldn't just go to the bank and say, oh, hi, I'm Simone Moe. I didn't have any security. I'd just been focusing on building my business for all of these years and not really building anything, you know, bricks and mortar, you know. Anyway, so I thought, how can I do this? And it was really the best thing that I have done in my professional career, I thought what I have is a brand. I have a brand that I've built for 15 years. It's got to be worth something. So I put my feelers out and I sold 50% of the Simone Logue brand to a small private equity firm. And it was amazing because the person that became my partner he was a chartered accountant and he had great skills where I didn't and I had great skills where he didn't. And we were like a professional marriage made in heaven. He brought financial disciplines into my business that allowed me then to fly creatively and um, and by selling half of the brand, it put money on the table for us to go forth and build our factory, a beautiful big kitchen, and then I could go and knock on the doors of Qantas Airlines and Woolworths and Harris Farms and really start to work in high volume. And we were we worked together for 12 years and it was just really a great um Danny, it was a great lesson and it was a great, uh, a great, I suppose, contribution to my career and the business. Yeah. I mean, it's not just selling 50% of a business, it's your name. That is an enormous amount of, I suppose, trust that you're putting in that relationship. And I mean, it's, yeah, awesome that it, that it worked out. What was it that brought it to an end? Did you, did you buy it back? Oh, no. It was my entrepreneurial spirit again. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to jump again and go to a whole nother level. And uh, that's when I wanted to go into dinner meals. I was just working in our pastry, in our, you know, making our beautiful pies and our quiches and our rolls. And I wanted to, as I said earlier in our conversation, I wanted to go into dinner meals and soups and go back to my origins. And, you know, and I, and uh, we, uh, my partner and I, and we're very, very good friends and we have huge amount of respect for each other. He didn't share the vision and uh, I, I didn't want him to hold me back. So we decided, well, I decided, hey, I'm going to go out there again and find like-minded, great um, manufacturers that have got capability to give me what I want. And he didn't want to come on the journey um, and although he's he's still a very very important confidant of mine and um, a mentor, um, and you know, and so he jumped out, and I found uh, Mr. David Beak, who is our chairman now um, of uh, Beak and Johnston, and they have huge capability in lasagna, in soups, in dinner meals, and now together we are building a state of the art 
uh, pastry uh, capability that nobody in this country has seen. So uh, it was just another really beautiful and fantastic step for me to make. And um, so I've been with Beacon Johnston now uh, coming up four years and it's been uh, just an amazing uh, supportive business relationship and I've, I've become very close friends with David Beek. He's mentoring me and he's a, the loveliest man. I'm very, very lucky. Mm. Uh, what a story. So, I mean, you said you've been working together for the past four years. Obviously, you know, the, the past two and a bit years have been pretty interesting. Uh, what sort of, I mean, yeah, I guess when I think about the parts of your business, which is, you know, getting food to people in a non-restaurant sense, some of those businesses have done really well through COVID. I mean, can you talk about how you've navigated it? Mm. Well, with COVID, um, it, there, there was a couple of silver linings for me. Um, the first one was I have actually never given myself permission to stop and just take a bit of a break. And so when we had our first lockdown, I came to Essington Park and tapped into, you know, I sort of took a little sabbatical and just tapped into my creative energy without all the business noise, do you know? And um, it was it was a real gift. Um Beak and Johnston were amazing, amazing support because what happened was we hadn't fully integrated our businesses. I had my uh, kitchen or my large kitchen at Marrickville and they were out at Greenacre and overnight I lost 50% of my revenue, which was the business I was doing with Qantas. Just as you can imagine, it just dried up and so it the, the other silver lining was it, it um, I suppose it it encouraged us to go into full swing integration, which we had sort of you know put a bit on the back burner. So Beak and Johnson wrapped their beautiful big culinary arms around me. And so what did that mean from a business sense? What it meant was uh, they found a spot in their facility at Greenacre for the Simon Logue pastry business. Um, and so, uh, you know, that that gave a lot of relief as far as overhead. So my objective was to just keep our heads above water over those two years because losing 50% of the revenue, we automatically just had to focus on our on our overheads, do you know? And also then there was a spike of about 20 to 25% in our grocery business, which was another saviour. Yeah, so it was it was just a good news story, even though it has slowed it slowed us up for a couple of years in, you know, what, what our objectives were. It just sort of was good time to reset, rethink, um, integrate fully, um, and so it wasn't it wasn't all bad, you know. And now we're out the other side, and we're back on board with Qantas, and we're cranking along, and we've got our great rollout of all of our beautiful dinners and pastries along the eastern seaboard. You know, we're working in Queensland and Victoria now, so it's just so exciting. 
what do you think are some of the tricks you've found along the way to you know, keep being successful in all the different ways that you that you are? Look, I think look, I think the biggest the biggest ticket item is, you know, for for creative people like me, you know, we need to force ourselves to know our numbers. You know, and it's easy to get into a comfort zone of wanting to be downstairs in the kitchen putting pie lids on pies and because that's where we feel most comfortable. But we you know, as as technicians, you know, you know, you, you, we really need to get outside of our comfort zone and get upstairs into the office and understand your numbers, understand your overhead, understand your percentages, your food costs, your wages, and, and know what game you're in because at the end of the day, you know, if you're not profitable, it's, it's you know, yes, we do it for love, but also we do it because we're building business, we're creating jobs where, you know, we, we need to, we need to, it needs to be sustainable. Um, I think another big ticket item is, you know, surround yourself with people who have expertise in areas that you don't. And that was a classic example of what I did when I when I first sold that big chunk of the Simone Logue brand because I figured, you know, I can spin my wheels, you know, and it, all of nothing is nothing. 50% of something really big is fantastic. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes you need that help along the way. And the, and it wasn't just the money that was put on the table. It was also the expertise and, you know, the the, the feeling that I'm not on my own anymore. I had the, this amazing support and confidant and mentor. And I learned, I grew up so much, Danny, over that time, over those 12 years. I learned so much about business. I grew professionally. You know, and that was great for my professional esteem. And I, there's no way I know that I would be where I am today without that. And then again, you know, without the support with my wonderful partners at Beacon Johnston now, you know. Um, but I suppose in saying all that, we also need to, you know, we can have all these amazing people around us, but at the end of the day, we have to tap into our intuition and our our guts, you know, our gut feeling because I have to say every time that I have ignored my intuition professionally and personally, it's ended in disaster. And every time I've listened to my guts, it's it's ended favorably so i think that is is really uh, you know important to not be yes take on the advice yes you know listen to the experts but at the end of the day you know the buck stops with you and the gut feel stops with you you know and um and just to be fearless as well like you know don't let your fears get in the way rise above it you know, rise above it and uh, and charge on. Put your rhino skin on and charge on. Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting because you you don't say have no fear. You just say rise above the fear. So I suppose it's that that acknowledgement that you might be afraid and then decide to do something anyway if it all feels right and the numbers stack up. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
moments. What's it like being Simone Logue, the person, and Simone Logue, the brand? Is, yeah. is it hard to reconcile those 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 elements sometimes? That's a really, really great question. Because I think for for us, you know, like people that put their names on their brands, it's incredibly personal and it's incredibly emotional. Um, and I wonder how it is going to be for me when one day I decide to retire or go on a different journey or how it's going to be because I know that the success of my brand and just just every day the success of my business really does validate who I am and it shouldn't. Like I need to work really hard to separate those two because I am Simone Logue the person as well, you know, and if I'm if I've, you know, lost a big deal or had a shit day at work or and I know it's gonna impact on my brand or somebody writes to me and says, you know, you're there wasn't enough meat in your chunky beef pie, whatever. I just take it so personally. I lose sleep over that shit, you know. <laughs> and um yeah, so does that answer that question? Like Well yeah, I mean it's really it's really tough. I mean I think that's why uh, a lot of people don't name their business after themselves. But if, but at the same time, you're so proud of it and it is you. So, of course, you would want to have that identity as well. Um, but, yeah, I just... And, Danny, there's really there's really good advantages to it. Because I am a person and I have put my name on it, people feel like they trust me. They know that I'm putting the love in really from deep in my heart and my, my, my soul. And people write to me. People write to me from all over the country. They might have eaten a pie on Qantas Airlines. They might have picked up a quiche in, you know, a store in Melbourne or Queensland or, you know, and they feel they can write to me. And I wake up to letters every morning and it's really beautiful. And so I suppose there are advantages to that where people feel yeah, there's a person behind this brand, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also interesting that balance between, you know, the the footprint on the ground that you mentioned and the scale. I mean, that must be an ongoing tension or trick. trick you know, there must be trickery in there as well. Like how do you reconcile that? That's another really great thing to talk about. Like this is my biggest job now and moving forward now that we are working in high volume to spend time down on the on the kitchen floor, spend time with my team, spend time in sensory every morning, go in there, taste, taste the beginning of the batch, the middle of the batch, the end, sign it off, you know, but answer all the, that feedback, good and bad. Every, every single person that writes to me, I am personally responding. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I am still fertilizing the land. I'm still putting that footprint, and I think it's vital to keep the wonkiness. You know, keep the keep the artisan, and that that this is my biggest challenge and my biggest job that I have moving forward today. Mm. That's so really fascinating. I love it. Um, so, I mean, we've talked so much about business and about your journey, but I feel like we haven't really talked much about the actual food. So let's 
dig into that? Like, I don't know how you want to tackle it. Like, <clears throat> should we talk about a pie that you might be making for your brother and sister, but then it also might be the, the pie that you're making um, for the brand? Like, I mean, what are we, what are we cooking? How are we getting the love into it? No matter whether we're doing it, you know, for the, for the table at Essington Park or for, for Qantas. Oh, look, it all starts at home. It, like my, I am just eat, sleep, breathing food 24 seven. You know, I am just soaking it in. You know, nobody comes into my radar unscathed as far as oh so where where's your mum and dad from where oh and uh oh no oh, you're greek oh your mum a good cook granny a good cook oh what's what's her signature dish next minute the plumber's writing down the spanakopita recipe or giving me you know granny's mobile telephone number <laughs> like i am just getting it everywhere that i can um i find instagram amazing like the kids in my office five years ago said Simone we're going to get you on Instagram I'm like oh bloody Instagram no I don't have time for that blah blah anyway they forced me well I was late for work for a whole year because I'd go on in the morning and go on this amazing journey and end up in some far away place in the world following some amazing cook, learning a new recipe. Like I just find it so inspirational and I'm such a visual junkie that, you know, like food to me has to be beautiful as well, you know. And um, so, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it all starts from home. It all starts from that inspiration that I'm gathering, that I'm just sucking in um, and, like, you know, ideas and my 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 siblings like Andy Logue is my culinary hero he followed in my footsteps he's 10 years up my my 20 and I he's 10 years our junior he followed in the culinary my culinary footsteps and now I follow in his um and we are all three of us are always calling each other up every day about what are you cooking what's happening tell us swapping recipes and you know and so that's yeah it, it does start it starts on a personal level and then it transpires into the business and I think it, that it, people can feel it because it is truly home style it is truly country it is food from the heart which is my my tagline so, Simone, it just let's imagine I'm lucky enough to cop an invite to Essington Park one day. What are you going to make me? Oh. Well, this is the thing. You know, no bugger ever bloody invites me to dinner because they they, <laughs> they think they have to perform culinary acrobatics, but that is just so not true. And then spare a little bit of you know, sympathy for me. How do you reckon I feel when I have people coming over? Because I think people have great expectations and all I really want to do is stuff a chook and throw it in the oven with a whole lot of veggies around it, you know. Um, that is my, my signature dish, just a beautiful sourdough stuffed roast chook. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm so there for that. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Um, I've loved this conversation. It's um yeah, inspiring in so many different ways. Someone, is there anything else that you would like to say? 
Oh, I just like to say everybody just keep cooking. Keep cooking, keep putting beautiful food on your table. You know, it's food is what brings us all together. You know, sounds corny, I know, but it's so true. It is it's a language, you know, that is universal. Um and uh, and if you don't have the time, go out and buy some on load because it's food from the heart. Love it. I'm definitely going to do that. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's been great to have a chat. Oh, Danny, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.